All right, who's been here since the beginning of the book of Ephesians, which was 42 weeks ago, just by a show of hands? It's most of us, right? Most of us are still, there's a handful of new people that have come in over the last 42 weeks. But we've done Ephesians for 42 weeks, which for some of you was about 37 weeks longer than you were hoping, right? Everyone's like, why don't you just do a chapter a week? And so that's just kind of not what we do here. There's so much rich packed goodness in this thing uh, that we took our time kind of going through it and saying, what does this mean? And so what we're going to try and do is like a 35,000 foot flyover to try and paint a picture of what was Paul's purpose in writing to this letter to the Ephesian church. Like what was his end goal? What was he trying to do? That there is intentional structure to his letter and the way he's writing so that a people would be formed for mission in Asia Minor. And I think for mission here in the city of Flagstaff and beyond wherever you might call home, okay? And so we're going to wrap up the letter with verses 21 through 24, uh, and then we're going to go back, and I'm literally going to read the whole letter to you today uh, and try and give you some of the, the best commentary if I could, and I'll explain why we're going to do that in just a bit. But if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, and we have Bibles up front, some of our interns will start walking the aisles here in a given second. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we want you guys to have a Bible. We want you to follow along with us because we think it's important that you guys know how to navigate around this. So just slip your hand up. Don't feel weird. We literally pass out uh, a bunch of these every single week. And if you don't have one, don't own one, you do now. It's a free gift to you. And uh, enjoy that. Read it. Share it. Do great stuff. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21 says this. If you don't know where Ephesians is, uh, just find the neighbor next to you. If they look like a little bit more like they're flipping somewhere, just ask them to point you in the right direction. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21 says this. So that you may know how I am doing, or know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love un or incorruptible. Okay, so Paul is writing this letter, what, for two reasons. One, to say, hey, we are a family. Let's learn. Let's, let's hear how we're doing. I want you to know what is God doing? What is the work that's happening beyond your city? And then two, that you would be encouraged in your hearts, which are present with the Holy Spirit and the gospel, which what we've talked about in Ephesians, that you too would be encouraged to go and share this same gospel to this whole region. Right? That, that, that's his vision for this letter. That's, that's why. So how does he build his case? for this to happen. Now, first someone says, I love that this is how Paul signs off on this letter. Like, it's, it's not impersonal. It's saying like, hey, I'm going to send you a friend. Now, what we know about Tychicus is that he actually was probably from Ephesus. So what he's doing, he's, he's going home. Like, he's, he's going to go back. And if you, any of you guys, like a lot of you college students, right? Like, you guys get to go back for a break. And, and some of you had a great high school experience. You're like, hey, 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 you know, and you're really excited to see your friends. Some of you hated high school, and you just stay home with your parents all weekend, right? And that's fine, too. But here's what's happening. Paul's like, I'm going to send to you this guy you know. He is going to convey to you what the Lord is doing out here in my life, in my ministry, and then he's going to encourage your hearts. Now, what I love about Paul is this is, this is 
Paul, right? Like, if, if you've been in the church a while, you begin to learn that this guy, Paul, if we were to rank human beings, which God never does and we should truly never do, Paul was a rock star. Like, this guy was converted from, like, fundamentalist, really strict Judaism, the guy, right? And then he comes to know the Lord on a road to Damascus where the God himself, Christ himself, appears to him and says, hey, what are you doing? And he becomes a follower. He gets trained up for a couple years and is sent out and plants multiple churches across Europe and Asia and writes most of the letters of the New Testament. So that's who this guy is. Now, for me, if you guys have you know, celebrity people in your life that seem unapproachable, right? They just seem too far away. Like, that. well, that's Paul, right? So this, uh, this last week, Anthony and I were in Chicago, and we went to a conference, and, and generally, like, conferences, some are good, some less good, but um, one of the guys that was the plenary speaker there was this guy, Tim Keller, and, and if you've been at this church a while, like, it's awkward how much we like him. Like, it's, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, it could be inappropriate, certainly. Like, it's just we love what he teaches. We think the way he opens up the word and brings it, his ministry has blessed this church. And, and hear me, you guys as a result of that in, in lots of ways. And so um, it was funny because the whole, the whole conference, there was 30 pastors from Redemption that all went to this conference and we're kind of all sitting, you know, in the middle. We don't want to be suit, like too into it and sit too close. Uh, we don't want to sit in the back because it's like, well, we still need to pretend we're great Christians. Uh, and so we sit right in the middle, like just equal distance from every direction and we're right there. But when Keller spoke, Anthony and I were like, hey, let's go up front. And so we're sitting like right there. We're like, oh, my God, that's Tim Keller. <laughs> and here's what's crazy about that situation is like that guy is just another guy. Like he's just another guy that you and I will spend eternity with if we know the Lord. There's nothing extra special. There's nothing extra great. He's not extra anointed. He's just God in the spirit has so transformed his life and given him a word to preach and a ministry to have. But that's true for you too if you're in Jesus. God's given you a word to preach and a ministry to have. Okay. And so what I love about the citation, Paul's like, hey, I know you care about me. Here's how I'm doing. I care about you. I'm investing in your life. We are, Anthony says all the time, we're a family here. That's why we make you do the name thing twice over and over and you still forget, but we keep doing it because we want you guys to know each other and to care for each other and to know that when one goes out, that man, we are with you as you go. And when you come back, we rejoice when you join our ranks again. Like That's the family that Paul has in Ephesus and amongst all the churches that he plants and engages with. And so that's the context of relationship with which Paul's shared. And here's, here's what I love then about the church is there's this eager anticipation for what Paul might say. And so what Tychicus would have done is Paul would have written this letter. Tychicus probably wrote a lot of it, right? Like as a scribe would write down the words uh, of Paul. And so he would write it down and then he would hand carry the letter back to Ephesus. And when he got there, he would stand before the congregation of the church in Ephesus and he would begin to just read the letter aloud to the people. Like they would just be sitting there and hear me like the, 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 there was a craving. For, okay, what did Paul say? Like, like, what does Paul have for us? What, what scripture is God going to give the church that we would be a faithful people? How would we be encouraged by what he says? So there, there's just this piece I want to say, and then we're going to start reading. Um, how often do we come to this space, and, and maybe this isn't your church, maybe just you go to your church, your, or your Sunday service, rather, and you're in eager anticipation and hunger. Lord, what would you have for me today? 
Like, did you show up this morning? Did you get out of the car, right? And, and you're like, oh my gosh, like, what's he gonna say? What's he gonna say? What's he gonna... Because that is the anticipation that I think the Spirit of God longs for in the heart of the believer because he wants to make you and I more like Christ, amen? Like, he doesn't want it to say, hey, no, you're good. He's, no, no, I love you, you're perfect, you're valuable, you're safe, you're secure in Christ, but I want you to be more like Jesus, and so, man, where is the anticipation? Okay, man, I can't wait to get to service because we're going to hear from the, the word of God. We're gonna, what does Paul have to say? To, what does God have to say to the church that we'd actually be able to be the faithful witness of God that he's called us to be? Okay? And, and so that's the posture that I think he's trying to get to. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm going to read a little bit quick, okay? Um, but uh, actually, man, did we get the words on the screen? I don't know if we did. It's okay if we didn't. That was my fault for not putting on. So really pay attention. Follow along in your Bibles if you want. Um, but I want you to receive this in a similar way as the church would have 2,000 years ago, right? Printing press didn't exist. They weren't holding Bibles, okay? They certainly didn't have a projector, okay? So they weren't looking up at a screen. They just eagerly, like, head in, eyes focused, ears in, saying, okay, what does the Lord have to speak? And so let's just hear this letter the way that they would have. And here's the thing, Tychicus would have included some commentary relayed from Paul. So as Paul was writing, being like, hey, and I think this for the church and this for the church, and so Tychicus would have given commentary. Honestly, it's like the earliest form of sermons in the early church, okay? And so here we go, Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. As adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of all of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things, all things, all people, all places, all ideas, to unite under him things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, not our own. So that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you heard the good news that saved you and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because that is true, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom 
and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, Jesus, who fills all in all, who goes to all places and to all people and to all areas and all regions and all sectors that the gospel and the name of Jesus will be brought forth into that place. So, so here, here's, here's, here's what Paul, guys, here's what Paul shares with the church then that he shares with us now. Hear me, church. If you are a Christian, let's talk identity for a moment. You are adopted as a son or a daughter of Jesus Christ. That is who you are. That is your primary identity. And you were chosen for that by the love and the grace and the mercy of God. That is fantastic news. Because what do we see? No, no, we, we were destined for something else, but God instead chose something different. And he brought us in as adopted children into his family. Praise be to God, amen? This is your identity. Hear me, ready? All the other identities that the world is telling you to identify with, you need to say, no, thank you. This is my identity. Christian, you are an adopted son or daughter of Christ before anything else, and it's not even close. Okay? You're not, you're not a conservative, and you're not a liberal. You're not a Republican, and you're not a Democrat. You're not left. You're not right. Okay? Like these ideologies of our world that have been built up and have been used by Satan to breed division are false identities. You are a son or a daughter of Christ Jesus. And we're going to see the impact and application of that in just a moment. But hold on tightly to this because we easily forget. Because as soon as you walk out, you turn on the channel, you read a paper, you hear overhear a conversation at some coffee shop, you get pulled into a false identity that is not you no longer. It's Christian, this is who you are. Do not lose the story. Hear me, we're, we're dealing with this now. They were dealing with the same story 2,000 years ago. Battling between, okay, the Pharisees tell me this, the Sadducees tell me this, the Essenes want me to go way out there, the Zealots say, let's strike people down, the kingdom of Rome is saying, no, subject to us, etc., etc., etc. This is not new. This is everything under the sun. We have seen this before. Your identity, Christian, is a son or daughter of Christ. Okay. Chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, all of us. Dead in the trespasses and sins which we once partook in willingly, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, and the passions, the desires of our flesh carrying out the desires of our body and our minds, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This, and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has transformed you and reconciled you to himself. Your sin, my sin, our sin had driven a wedge between God and man. And what he did on the cross when he was dead and raised is he tore down that dividing wall that existed and said, no, now we can be together in its fullness. You are mine. I hear you. We're together. The reconciliation between God and man which was lost in the fall back in the Garden of Eden has been restored in the cross. Think about this. The Garden of Eden, they ate from a tree and from that tree sin entered into the world. But yet it was Christ who died on another tree to bring fullness back to the relationship of God and man. God in his restorative work reconciles God back to, or reconciles people back to himself because of his great love and grace. Verse 11, Therefore remember at one time, you Gentiles or you non-Jews, which that's going to be most of us in the room, in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you are at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. You were on the outside. You didn't know any of this, but God brought you in having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to one spirit in the Father. So then, you're no longer, hear me, church, you are no longer strangers and aliens of one another. You are no longer strangers and aliens of one another, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being our cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God in his spirit. Hear me, okay? That reconciliation that went vertical, if you remember this going back some months, right? It's not just vertical, it's horizontal. That when Christ went to the cross, he died and rose again. Another wall that was broken was the wall that divided man from man, man from woman, woman from man, humankind from humankind. 
That in the church, all of the malice and all of the deceit and all of the deception and all of the pain and the brokenness and the way that people talk about each other, both in the public and in the private spaces, that should not, cannot, will not exist in the church. Because we are now one person. So, so how, how, do we, how do you war with yourself? Like, hear me, brothers, like if we, are, if we are brothers, we are now one person, one man, united by the blood of Jesus. It's not something we achieved. It's something that was achieved on the cross through the blood of Christ. How do you war with yourself? You don't. We have to change what we understand about reconciliation and your identity. You are not everything they say. You are a son or a daughter of Christ, and that is true for those in the household of faith who know and love Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we are now one. And the dividing wall between us, the world should look to the church and say, how in the world do you do that? How'd you guys do that? How did you guys manage to navigate an insanely crazy political climate, but to do so in love and grace? How did you manage to be able to go and to serve this city, not seeking personal gain, but actually laying down of your own stuff that other people you don't even know might flourish? How did you enter into conversations with your enemies and instead of there being turmoil and brokenness, there was peace and restoration? How did you do that? The church should be like, hey, let me read you Ephesians 2. We didn't, Christ did on the cross. Because we don't war with ourselves, we are one. This is who we are. Chapter 3. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I've written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, and has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles, those on the outside, racially, ethnically, socially, in every division in our world, <clears throat> excuse me, lost my place is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made minister to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am at very, I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, do not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Paul in chains saying, listen, okay, this is for all of you to hear, right? He who has ears, let him hear. We cannot, hear me, church, you cannot opt out of, if you, if you love Christ, if you are his, right? If you are part of the church, you cannot opt out of this. This is not a, ah, no thank you. This is, no, you are the family, so you are part of the family business. And that business is bringing peace and restoration to the world.
Okay. Keep going. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in the heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, ready, to comprehend with all the saints. And hear me, beyond this room, friends, okay, with all the saints in our city, all the saints in our state, in our country, all the saints that we have, brothers and sisters worshiping around the world that we could possibly, potentially comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever. And the church said, amen. All glory to him because he is the one who's working. Do you see what, what Paul, what the spirit through Paul is trying to communicate to just, this is the first half of the letter of Ephesians. It's saying, hey, there's this gospel story that you guys were saved by and I see you slipping a bit, so let me remind you of the gospel that you have been brought in, but guess what? It's not just for you, it's for the nations. And so we draw all in, the ones that seem the most far off, they come in and then together as one man we present the gospel to the world. But we do not do this by ourselves. We do it with the power of the Spirit at our back. Amen? So he's, he's trying to craft for the Ephesian church. He's like, listen, there is a missionary identity for you. There is a direction that the God is trying to take his church. And if you don't get the gospel, we will go nowhere. It becomes nothing but forced or coerced behavior modification. And may it never be in the household of God that we would feel a sense of have to as opposed to get to. The have to was abolished on the cross because Christ had to go to the cross because previously we had to. But in his death and in his resurrection, the had to left and the get to changes because now as one person we get to do this together. We get to be a beacon and a light to the nations that they would look again to the church and say, how in the world do you guys do that? This is what Paul's trying to, right? So Ephesus, right, this city in Asia Minor trying to be a beacon for the region as the gospel, so the gospel, right, Jerusalem, it's going west and it's going east and it's coming through Ephesus primarily to go and move to the rest of the nations. Thomas would travel through and bring his gospel, the gospel to India as traveling through as a movement of the gospel through Asia. And all of this stuff was to build up a people that would take the gospel well. And so now here we are, United States of America, where the gospel is... Still somewhat, I guess, known-ish in our culture, although that's fading quickly, okay? And I feel we've just gotten lazy. And we need to hear the prophetic word of the Spirit of God through an apostle 2,000 years ago to gear up the church once again to say, here's what the gospel is, here's who you are. Do not buy into the other identities of the world. You are not defined by your job or your vocation. You're not defined by your status or your finances. You're not defined by who you think you are. You are defined by who God has made you in his image, drawn to him as a son or daughter of Christ. So now go as that, as your identity. Chapter 4. 
which he wouldn't have said, but we have chapters. Okay. I, therefore, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So if the gospel is all true, this means some stuff for the church. If all of this is true, if that's our new identity, this means some things for what we look like individually and what we look like corporately. Um, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill the things, all things. Now, you already know what that means, so we'll keep going. I'm kidding. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry. He's given the leadership to say, church, you're doing ministry. Let's help you get better at it. That was the expectation. So are we doing that? Let's keep going. Mm-mm. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working probably makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We said over and over and over as we preach through the second half of this letter, as we move from the gospel centrality of chapters one through three to the outward focus practice of chapters four through six is church who do you want to grow up to be and the church says Jesus like what is the end goal of our life let me be more like Christ what do I want to be when I grow up Jesus God let us be conformed to his image Paul saying listen church like move towards Christ why, why, why clamor for the word of God? Why engage in prayer? Why be in biblical community? Why be on mission? It's so that God in that makes you more like himself. That you grant him glory, yourself joy, and be a blessing to the world that he has called us to. Okay, let's continue. <clears throat> now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not what you learned in Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Leave behind who you were and pursue who God now has made you. Therefore, having put away this falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. 
Speak truth to one another, church. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building up as fits the occasion that it would give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Church, hear me. Be kind to one another. Be kind to one another, regardless of what they say or believe or think that you disagree with. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Paul begins to say, listen up. If we want to, it's not enough for just us to know this stuff. It's not just for us to say, okay, so, so here's what often happens is, is I think we come to church, we come, what well, we call church, we, call, we come to Sunday service, and there isn't an eager anticipation or expectation that God would do something here because we think we show up and we already know. And here's the thing, for many of you who have been coming to church for a while, I don't even doubt that. I don't doubt that you do know. So I don't, I don't know if anything I've said today for a lot of you who have been in the church for a while is all that brand new. But I think we're asking the wrong question as Christians if we say, do I know that? Instead of saying, am I that? Is this me? Is the text writing me? That's the question we have to start asking ourselves. Because, yeah, I think a lot of you do know this. But until we're living it out perfectly, there's plenty of room to grow. Amen? So when you come and say, ah, oh, well, I kind of checked out because I already knew this stuff. And then I say, okay, well, man, how, how generous are you to the poor? Wow. And hear me, that, that, that's not even a, an att- that's, that's me right there. When we begin to say, oh, well, man, I, I know, you know I, the gospel is for everyone. Okay, but are you going to everyone? No? Well, then no, you don't. Yeah, you might know this here. You don't know this here, and it's not you. But here's the thing. That's okay, because the Lord knows that's true of us. That's why he gave us his spirit to say, I'm not going to let you stay as you are. Now let me change you into the image of Jesus. So let's keep going. Uh -uh. Chapter 5. Therefore, okay, again, all of that being true, God's changing us. We've got to put off the old self, put on the new self. This is new identity. Therefore, be imitators of God. What does this look like? Be God. As beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let me just say real quick, can you look at your life and the decisions that you make through the lens of love? When you say, all right, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to say this, or I'm going to post this, or I'm going to engage with this, or I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to do this, I'm not going to do this, is the lens for your actions love? And if it's not, man, Let's reorient. Let's come back to the word. Let's remember who we are. And let's say, no, 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 that's the old me. The new me, the new me does everything through the lens of love. How does this love my neighbor? How does this love my enemy? How does this love my brother or sister in Christ? How does this love my wife? If I do something and it does not love my wife, I am in sin. Love is the ethic of the Christian. 
It is the lens for how we live everything in life. Okay, let's keep going. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. But instead let there be thanksgiving for you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you too were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. But instead expose those things. For it is the shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Ask the Lord for wisdom. Pursue him. Make decisions with the best possible insight, counsel, and understanding from people and the Spirit. making the best of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God and the Father, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Look careful how you walk because the days are evil. This is not 2,000 years ago it was evil. It's saying that the world is jacked up and you and I walk in it more hours than you sit in this space. So be wise. Be built up. Know what your Bibles say. And hear me, commune and talk to the Father every stinking chance you get. Because he's right there. He's present and he wishes to commune and to communicate with you. Stay and abide in Christ. Otherwise, the world will win you over. Okay. Continuing on. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let... let and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We spent a lot of time on this, and I know we don't have a ton of time to break it down, but here's what God's trying to do. He's trying to say, I've brought together a whole bunch of different relationships in this world, and ultimately each and every one of them are to proclaim my glory, my love, and my pursuit of my lost creation to the world. 
So whatever those relationships are, honing in on the marital one, which has been there since the very beginning. And we kept saying this over and over, and I'm going to say it again and again and again, that what headship looks like in the world today is what Christ looked like in his service to the world. You want to talk headship? That means laying it down. That means subverting the way the culture thinks headship should look and say, no, I am the head, but I die. This is not the way the world views headship. We take headship, we turn it on its head, if you will, and we serve from below. Though everything that is meant in every relationship mentioned here in this context is about a continuous and beautiful picture of whether it be the husband and the wife constantly saying, I'm going to come up underneath you so that we see the way that Christ loves. I'm going to come up underneath you till we see the relationship with the church in Christ. I'm going to come up underneath you, etc., 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 so the world would see and hear and know the love of God. Every relationship in your life, every interaction that you have with your roommate, with your classmate, with your professor, with your son, with your daughter, your husband, your wife, your coworker, your friend you play baseball with, every single one is an opportunity for you to show the world the way Jesus pursued and came after his lost world. Every relationship you have is important and beautiful because that's the opportunity to give glory to God. Continue on. Last chapter and we're done. Children, obey your parents for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. Masters do the same and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, that there is no partiality with him. Two more relationships shared there, and I know one, you're starting to get in a bondservant. Some, right, some of your translations are gonna use the word slave, and so you're like, man, well, how do we, listen, I... That is a whole sermon you need to go back and listen to, but I'm going to tell you, one, what, yes, was a little bit different? Yeah, kind of, but at the same time, this was still people owning people, and it wasn't right, but what Paul is speaking to is what we call a radical reality, that this was actually happening in the day, and so how would Paul so address, how would God so address a reality with the Roman Empire in such a way that God receives glory, people receive joy, and the other is blessed? Because that is the rubric for how God works in the world, through love, seeking to show the world who he is, okay? Please go back and listen to that one, though. Okay, lastly, the whole armor of God. Again, look at the narrative arc of how Paul's writing. Let me give you all the gospel. This is who you are. This is what your identity is. You have been brought in. You have been saved, delivered, chosen. You're set free, justified, etc., etc. Now I give you my spirit. You're empowered by me to go and change the world. And I equip you with truth here at the end. I equip you with things that will always be true. So when you walk out the door every morning, when you leave service today, these things are true for you that you might bring the gospel of peace forward. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This battle is much larger than you guys ever realized. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains and I may declare to it boldly as I ought to speak. And then he signs off with his salutation. We begin with, he lands with, listen. In all of this, you know what's going on? It's far bigger and greater than you thought. You think that the person next to you or the person you disagree with in the world is your greatest enemy? That is a fool's errand to think that's where we need to battle. We need to be on our knees. We need to be praying. We need to be fighting with the truth in our hearts, equipped with the word of God, with healthy counsel and people around us to point us to the gospel over and over. Why? Because there is one who is equipped with many minions that would seek to destroy the good news that has been implanted in your heart. And he would seek to make sure that that never gets shared with those who are hurting and broken in our world. That there is one who rejoices at the pain that some of you feel this morning. He's like for a second, there's, there's one that celebrates when devastation and calamity comes upon this world. And God has so equipped and granted victory to the church to walk in who you are who we are, that we would be able to win that battle every day, every night, from here until kingdom come. That is who you are, church. My hope at the start of the book of, of Ephesians was that God would so do a work in the church here at Redemption Flagstaff that we would look different than we did when we began. And that happens in different levels as, as the Lord sanctifies us. And I tell you, if I could recount every story of many of you that have come and shared what God has done through the last 42 weeks, I think we'd all weep. There's been amazing moments where people have felt so called to say, okay, I'm supposed to love the city. Uh, this is who I am now. This is what it means for my, insert, finances, right? For my status, for my work, for my et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then I will then move this direction. That is evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in his church. Praise be to God because that's nothing to do with us. It is the goodness and mercy of God that changes us. Amen. This is the letter to the church in Ephesus before the church in Flagstaff that we would be a faithful people. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And God, that was a lot. You've written so much 
goodness and life into this. And so, Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that, God, we get to open it, we get to hear from it, and that, gosh, it's not just words because then it falls upon and through the power of your spirit. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you for teaching us and conforming us. I pray conviction over myself and over our family here that we would be a faithful presence wherever we go motivated by the truth of God. You have saved us, not of anything that we had done, lest we would boast, but you have saved us because of your good pleasure and your great joy. So God, as we sing and we respond, would you bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.